And welcome back, everyone, to another episode of This Show is All About You, a show about all the ways in which you and me can connect as we and what that means for all of us. As always, I am your host, J.D.K. Winnikin. You can find out more about me by checking out my website. That's wordsbyjdk.com. You can also find me on my social media feeds at Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter. Just look up my last name, W-Y-N-E-K-E-N, and you should find me rather easily. Would love to chat with you. Hear what's on your mind, get some ideas for future shows, uh, and the like. So thank you for tuning in, everybody. And before we get started, I want to make sure that uh, right at the top of the show, I uh, thank once again this show's sponsor, Airway Science for Kids, which is a nonprofit based down in the Portland, Oregon area that provides life and career pathway opportunities for underserved youth into the fields of aviation and aerospace. And not only do they, they don't just do that by introducing students to the hundreds of career opportunities that are available in aviation aerospace, they actually help them take every single step along the way to reach that career. But not only that, they help them make choices about what kind of life they want to live, asking questions that a lot of kids don't get asked a lot of times. And they also go out of their way to connect those kids with all the community resources that they could possibly need along their journey to help them better connect with themselves, advocate for themselves, and better connect with their families and their communities. If you'd like to know more about the amazing work that Airway Science for Kids does, check out their website, airsci.org, A-I-R-S-C-I.org, or you can reach out to them uh, via email using the address info at airsci.org. So thank you to them. And Airway Science for Kids is, is continuing this journey with me. Just a reminder for uh, all of you listening live on KKNW, this is my uh, last show on this station, uh, but I am moving over to the same time. Uh, to a sister station, Kixi, K-I-X-I, 880 AM in Seattle, to an hour-long format starting next week. There'll be a lot of what is familiar in this show will will continue, and then some new stuff will be coming in as well. It's sort of the next indicated step uh, for this show and my journey with that, and I'll be bringing in guests on a regular basis, and uh, really excited about next week's guest, and you'll have to wait to find out about who that is. Uh, but that starts next week. For those of you who are listening to this as a podcast, nothing changes for you. They'll just be more minutes for you to listen to every week. So thank you to Airway Science for Kids for coming along. And I will say more about this at the end of the show as well. So this show is episode 66 for April 11th, 2022. And I have entitled today's episode, An Illumination of the Soul. An Illumination of the Soul. And I'll tell you where that, it's part of a quote uh, from someone that I'll get to in just a minute. And it's going to be about sort of the importance of history. I figure for a final uh, episode for at least this stage of the game, reflecting a little bit on why history matters, uh, particularly in light of what's happening with the war with Russia and Ukraine, uh, would be appropriate. And so the haiku to go with it for today goes like goes something like this. Give you a hint where we're going. Whether something is a burden or benefit is my decision. Whether something is a burden or benefit is my decision. And we're going to be talking about that in the context of history. So an illumination of the soul. What do I mean by that? Well, the title, um, it comes from a famous quote, and it's one that's taken out of context a lot, uh, by Lord Acton. And Lord Acton was a 19th century British uh, politician, diplomat, who, uh, controversial in his day, uh, and was very focused on, at the time, on the United States. And um, he was actually really supportive of the Confederacy in the U.S. Civil War. And so he was on the wrong side of history as far as, that's, <laughs> as, far as that was concerned. But this quote is one of his more famous ones. He's, by the way, he's the one who said uh, absolute power corrupts absolutely. That's Lord Acton. But that's not the quote that I'm talking about. The quote that uh, I am drawing this from goes like this. History is not a burden on the memory, 
but an illumination of the soul. History is not a burden on the memory, but on on the memory on memory, <laughs> but an illumination of the soul. I've been thinking about this a lot. This quote for the last few weeks, as we've been talking on this show uh, weekly uh, about the war in Ukraine and what's been happening, and I've I've taken us in a lot of different directions in discussing that, responding in large part to questions I've been getting from listeners and readers, um, friends, family, and the like. Uh, And I've been thinking about it a lot because in the bigger scheme of things, as I talked about last week, Putin is engaged in a complete false narrative about history to justify um, his invasion of Ukraine and uh, has managed to sell it, unfortunately, to um, a sizable number of people in his own country. But and it's certainly not convincing most people around the world. But nevertheless, (laughs) the truth of that hasn't stopped this war from happening and from grinding on. And it's got me thinking in the larger sense about this idea is history is act and right. Is history more an illumination of the soul or a burden on the memory? And what I've been reflecting on, wondering about for the last few weeks, and I thought I'd talk about today is, what if that is our choice? It can be a burden. It can also be an illumination of the soul. Maybe it's our individual soul, if we're talking about our personal history. Maybe it's on our national soul if it's the history of our country or someone else's country, um, maybe the history of humanity as a whole, what does it illuminate? Is it a burden or an illumination? Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be one or the other. Certainly, burdens can illuminate. But in the spirit of the quote, at least the way it lands today, it, I've been thinking a lot about our choice to make it one or the other or to see it more as an illumination and why that seems to be so difficult. It is not just in the, Putin's not the only one. <laughs> it's just a really egregious uh, falsification and uh, deliberate, you know, deliberate um, obfuscation of history. We all tend to do this. Um, we can do it on an individual basis. We can do it on a national basis. Um, certainly not necessarily to the degree that he has, but, you know, just think about it. So for example, in the United States, where we see History perhaps coming across as more of a burden is in the endless battles that we seem to be having over it. In what gets included in middle school and high school history textbooks, for example, that's in the news all the time. To what degree should certain points be emphasized? How many pages should such and such get? Uh, What individuals should be in? Which ones should be out? These battles happen a lot. And it's also recently been happening over as parents are seemingly getting more involved in questions about what books should be allowed uh, in various parts of this country for kids to read. Uh, The graphic novel Mouse has been in uh, the crosshairs of some um, school boards in parts of this country for a while. The battle over Confederate monuments that's been going on. You know, are monuments actual history or are they commemoration? I call them commemoration. And so I'm in the camp that says, well, they should probably come down. And then if you want to put them in a museum somewhere to talk about why they were put up in the first place, which was usually in the 1920s or in other areas where civil rights was actually making headway, then you can do it that way. Also, the battles over what this country was founded on. Was it founded on notions of liberty or on slavery? The big controversy over the New York Times-led 1619 project a couple years ago really put this forward. And it's brought the battle over what is and what isn't history into the public sphere, more so than any time that I can really remember. But usually it's not a conversation about the nuances and the broad scope 
of history. And this feels like a burden, right? To, to have these battles going on feels like a burden. Uh, in other places, it's also really pronounced. Uh, my field of specialty in graduate school was uh, Nazi Germany and post-Nazi Germany. And certainly Germany as a country, when it was divided uh, between 1945 and 1990, between the liberal democratic West and the communist East, each of those grappled with the legacy of uh, Nazism in their own ways and usually filtered through with what was happening politically at any given time. They grappled with it in ways uh, and still grapple with it in ways that no other country really has had to do before, even though it's a, a very incomplete process um, and uh, gets pretty messy at times. Uh, the conversation about culpability of everyday Germans has been a constant uh, area where some Germans have wanted to talk about it more than others have on a political level, all the way down uh, to small towns throughout the country. So it's a big deal there. And, and oftentimes questions about it, uh, ex- new exhibits that come out, new books that come out uh, in Germany can make national news and rekindle conversations about what that means. Uh, in countries like France as well, same thing. Uh, with France, oftentimes that kind of the burden feels around the questions about collaboration during World War II. At the end of World War II, what one author called uh, the Vichy syndrome, uh, many French fell into, where suddenly many, many people in France were saying that during the war they had been part of the resistance, the French resistance to the Vichy regime, which was the puppet government put in place by Nazi Germany, when really all the numbers show really clearly that uh, the majority of French were not in the French resistance. They may have sympathized with them, or, uh, but not necessarily active participation. And a book, that book called the Vichy syndrome really kicked off a real series of controversies in France about it. Poland uh, faces questions about that, about how everyday citizens responded to the Holocaust in Poland, where Polish Jews were rounded up by the Nazis and uh, either shot where they lived or sent to one of the extermination camps and uh, debate over how many Poles actually resisted that, how many collaborated, how many were simply bystanders. And is that an understandable thing, an acceptable thing? That feels like a burden. Ukraine faces the same thing. You know, there was a Ukrainian unit of the SS that was actively involved in the Holocaust. And all of these things, even though they happened over 75 years ago, were such a big part of that period in the history of these peoples and really cut to the bone of questions about what it means to be human, what is proper behavior, what is universal, what is not, that those historical events are still part of living memory or, you know, have domestic importance and contemporary importance, I should say. So every country faces that in some ways, and some countries address it better than others. Uh, Russia, of course, has had trouble with this, in part because under the Soviet system after World War II, um, honesty about their own history was not a high priority for a lot of reasons. So all of this taken together, tell, it sounds like a burden, and it can make history feel incredibly heavy. And sometimes it is. You know, I remember a number of years ago when I was still in my teaching days, I was teaching classes back to back on uh, the Soviet Union and then on the Holocaust. And I had a couple of students who would take both classes. And one of them came up to me a few weeks in and said, how do you live work with all of this every day? How can you do this? I mean, the, the, the weight of it seemed unbearable to them. And it was a really interesting question because I couldn't really answer it at first. And after a long period of time of reflecting on it, I realized that in part it was 
Yes, because there is there is something about the depths to which humanity will go that does uh, draw interest. But also some of the great, the best stories of human behavior, those who did resist, those who did help Jews, for example, survive the Holocaust, those dissenters in the Soviet Union who dared uh, risk their lives to write about the abuses of the gulag and of the communist system and sneak them out of the country, many of them killed for it or exiled. Those types of stories gave me a lot of hope and tended to crystallize a lot of what I found valuable in the human experience because these were people facing literally life or death situations and made choices that I think as a human being, I want to say I would emulate if I were ever in a similar situation. It was really clear that what they were doing, those people, were the right thing. There was something about that that I found powerful and instructive. But I think in the context of the quote that I'm using for today's title, it also showed me that I could sit and study all that, read all those things, talk about them, and let it be a burden. And sometimes it feels that way. Or I could treat it as an illumination of the soul. And that's where sort of the choice, I think, of this comes down. And I'm going to ask us all to consider that, um, not just as we learn more about the history of Russia and Ukraine, because the war is so top of mind at the moment. But just as we move forward, uh, history has not been stressed as much uh, in curriculum in high schools and in universities uh, for a while now, particularly since the end of the Cold War in particular. Uh, Russian history has been less um, less popular, I should say. Uh, people haven't talked about it as much. Uh, instead, there was, you know, as uh, the Middle East became more prominent in at top of mind, you know, in people's minds in the United States, conversations about that uh, increased. And so money given to universities and to think tanks to study those became more more prominent, more popular, got more press than anything having to do with Russia or whatever the case may be. And that might be something that's unavoidable, right? Uh, we tend to look at the areas where there's the most crisis and want to understand what they're about. Um, you know, and we all can say we don't have the time. We don't necessarily have the inclination. Maybe we find history boring. Uh, we'd rather watch something on TV than read a book, whatever it might be. Uh, those things can be difficult. And yet, um, <laughs> Unlike anything I've really encountered, history, particularly when approached, I think, in an effective way and understood for what it can do and what it can't do, can be more illuminating on the human condition, both for me as an individual and I think for us collectively, than just about anything else. And of course, that's open for debate. So if it is a choice between a burden and illumination, why do many of us tend to see it as burden? Well, the easy answer is that Underneath all of that is a fear of something. If it feels like a burden and we don't want to see it as an illumination of our individual soul or of our national soul or humanity's soul, uh, what are we afraid of seeing in that soul? Of course, when we shine the light on something, <laughs> it's there to be seen. Right? If we're talking about it in terms of our own personal lives, when we're, if we're doing personal work on ourselves or going through therapy or working through recovery, something like that. Part of the process of that is turning the light on and shining it into the dark corners of our experience, our mind, our soul, whatever that might be. And there's something really frightening about that. The dark itself might be scary, but sometimes finding out what actually is there in the light, and it might be nothing, <laughs> can seem scary. Because, of course, what we do know, we're a little more comfortable with, even if it's terrible. A nation's soul, like a person's, is complex. It's massive. It's paradoxical. 
It's difficult to explain. It's a permanent entity, but it's always a changing thing. It sometimes feels that in the big national conversations, it's as if everyone everywhere is afraid that admitting something bad or negative or regretful about the past is a threat on some level just by the very nature of admitting it. Right? So, for example, the questions about was the country founded on, on notions of liberty or on slavery? Uh, what if it's a mixture of those and more? Because certainly slavery was a part of the settlement of the 13 colonies, certainly in the southern colonies. That's undeniable. Questions about what it was more of are really hard to quantify. So perhaps quantifying it isn't so important as is just discussing how all of this mix worked together, how it happened, how some of those who were some of the best articulators of human liberty in human history also could be slave owners like Thomas Jefferson, for example. Does a person need to be morally upstanding in the eyes of history on every level 200, 300, 400 plus years later for their accomplishments to be appreciated or not appreciated? How does that work? Those are larger conversations that can be had, but if we're coming from a position of illumination rather than burden, it seems to me that conversations will happen more often than battles. So why is it? What are we exactly afraid of? You know, and I've had to ask myself this personally, longtime listeners of this show know that I have had to face the bad parts of my history, the consequences of past, past choices, and then learn how to put them alongside all my successes and everything in between. And that process of shining a light on some things that wasn't comfortable didn't kill me. It didn't kill me then. It hasn't killed me today. And it's not going to. Why is that? Because... I'm deciding, sometimes daily, that it won't. Seems to me that history, personal or otherwise, when we honestly assess it, discuss it, parse it out, reflect on it, it often runs counter to the preferred narratives we have about ourselves, about our nations, about our religious beliefs, our convictions, whatever that is. And it threatens that feeling of safety that we all find in those things. As if the very idea of something being challenging could knock down these belief systems around us. You know, these are all the things that we seem to care about the most. And this exists on every side of the political spectrum. It exists across um, social strata. This, I think, is a, a human thing. And what I've always appreciated about history is that it is a humbling discipline. And engaging in it, reading it is like a practice like any other, <laughs> It's, it's a practice like it can be like brushing our teeth, taking good care of ourselves, an ongoing thing. It's better to look at it that way as to an ongoing conversation about not just the facts of something in the past and finding out something interesting, but what it meant at the time, what it meant since, how people have understood it and used that memory of history over time in their own contexts. That's an ongoing conversation that when treated as such is a lot more illuminating than burdensome. Because it allows and leaves open, it seems to me, the possibility of us learning something new, having parts of our soul illuminated a little bit more clearly, and having us do the hard work of sometimes facing ourselves and going, you know what, I'm not going to hold on to that anymore, or that was wrong of me, or I have more to learn. 
questions that are, and responses to ourselves that I think are such a part of what it means to be a healthy human. So with that in mind, what are some things that we can each do around better treating history more as illumination of the soul than of, as a burden? Well, just a couple of things that come to mind. And those of you who've known me for a while have heard some of this before, usually over uh, dinner tables or at ball games or in conversations. Um, read more than one book about something. <laughs> That's a good start. Uh, I've had a number of people say, man, why, why are there so many books written about Pearl Harbor? Isn't it all just kind of known already? Well, the answer is no. The basic facts might be agreed upon, but there's always more to be discussed about how those all things came about or what they meant or what was learned about it. It just depends on what perspective the author is bringing to it. It takes more than one. When I was in graduate school, I remember being blown away when I had got my reading lists of what I had to do for my comprehensive exams and seeing that I was going to be reading 25 different books on one subfield subject of something. And that felt really daunting. I had a long time to do it. Uh, it's not like I had to do it in a week. Okay? But it became exciting over time because I realized that these events, while they happened in the past, were still vibrantly being discussed. They were living things in and of themselves. And I had a chance to keep them alive by having conversations about them and considering different viewpoints, all in the effort of, yes, furthering larger truth, but also getting a better sense of myself, others around me, and illuminating the human condition a bit more. And in that process of reading more than one book, be discerning about who's written it, right? Uh, take a time to look at authors. It doesn't always have to necessarily be historians. Uh, you know, PhD-trained historians, it, it, is a, it is a rigorous discipline for a reason. But some great histories have been written by non-PhD uh, non historians. Barbara Tuckman is one of the great historical writers of all time, and she didn't have a PhD. But that can matter. Um, if it's written by a commentator from your favorite news channel, go ahead and read the book, but that might not be the only one you want to read. Because... <laughs> There might be a little bit of a different motive in why that book is being published in the first place. So reading more than one of those would be good. And don't be afraid to read books that you know you're going to disagree with. This happens quite a bit where people gravitate towards the authors that they want to read or the ones they already know are going to help them feel good about what they already believe. There's certainly nothing wrong with reading books you agree with. But why are we afraid to read ones that we disagree with? Because it seems to me on one hand, if, if we really believe that reading one book that's countered us is really going to sway our opinions totally and irrevocably in one, in one direction. Or, you know, if you have to ban it from schools because you're afraid your kid's going to read one book that's going to completely change their world, then my guess is you probably need to re-examine on a deeper level what you believe in about yourself and everything else. Anyways, there's bigger, bigger things there. Because if you really are sure you are right about something, why should we be afraid of reading something counter to that point of view? What's the threat there? The threat, it seems to me, is not whether something may be true or not. It's about what might be challenging to oneself. And of course, with those different books, no one book on any subject can cover everything. But history isn't just about fact. And I hope that's something that we've all been able to take away from this show when I've talked about those subjects. It's not just about facts. It's about the context and not only which they happened, but in which they were written about. The meaning they could have. The illumination on current events. Right now, more people are interested in Russian history than they have been in several decades. Why is that? Because the context of right now has changed with the war in Ukraine. And that's okay. That happens. All the more reason to be digging into it. Right. 
even if we run into something that is convicting, run into something that shows us that maybe we haven't looked at something as clearly or as openly as we thought, when have those ever been bad lessons? Difficult, painful, sure. But that conversation continuing on allows us to ourselves continue on. If the conversation about history never ends and the illumination never ends, then we as people growing by knowing more about it, that process never ends. And it doesn't have to feel like a burden, that something has to be decided upon or it has to be held on to at all costs or everything else has to be discarded or it has to be defended. So who's writing it? Who's publishing it? Who's reviewing it? These are all things that can take, in this, in this day and age, a couple of minutes on Google to find out more about. Major newspapers review the big new books in historical fields. Just a quick look over the weekend. Richard Overy, one of the great historians of World War II, has a brand new book out that's going to be controversial. Anne Applebaum has published a number of books on the Gulag and the terror famine in Ukraine, and she's a regular writer for the Atlantic magazine. She's popular of late. Elizabeth Samet, a English professor teaching at West Point, has written some very provocative stuff about memory of the Second World War in the United States, all of which certainly will stir up and has stirred up conversation. And that's not a bad thing by itself. And all of these things matter. Whether we are talking about learning how to just better discern as a consumer of history or to have conversations about what it can mean and what it can't mean. And history doesn't answer everything. But that by itself is a conversation worth engaging in. And at its best, it shows or it can show our willingness as individuals, communities, nations, people to be open to finding out what it is we don't know that we don't know. What new perspective we may have that we, we may encounter that we haven't had before or hadn't considered before that we might be able to connect with in ways that we didn't think we could connect with before. In that sense, history is a beautiful thing, even when it's hard, even when it's painful, even when it's controversial, and even when we still don't agree. That doesn't necessarily have to happen. What would be better for all of us, whether we're talking about Ukraine or we're talking about ourselves in the United States, would be better if we could have those disagreements and have those conversations in a civil way that allows our own souls to be illuminated in front of one another. Well, that's what I've got for today. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of this show. It's all about you. Remember that next week, if you're listening live, I will be on at 3 p.m. on Kixie 880. Um, and pick me up as a podcast. It'll be an hour long. Thank you so much to Stacey Heller, my producer. Thanks so much to Eric Ryder for making all this happen in the studio. Thanks so much to Airway Science for Kids. And thanks to all of you for always being so supportive. We'll see you next week with a little bit of a new sassy format. Until then, chins up, everyone. Mm-hmm.